want to welcome you to uh, this family worship today on New Year's Eve. Um, we do this for a few reasons. Uh, one of them is that a lot of our families are traveling, and so it's hard to staff all of our different ministries, and so this is just a time for us to once again be together uh, as, as a church family where we welcome you. Um, I want to start just by some, a little bit of Q&A, and the only way this can probably work well is if we're a little civilized with it, and so uh, I need you to raise your hands if you're going to respond and kind of speak up so I can hear you. But one of the things that many of us like about this Christmas season, this holiday season, is, is that it's full of traditions. There are things that you do year after year after year that are meaningful to you. Uh, they're meaningful to your family. And maybe some of the traditions that you participate in, uh, you have done not just with your immediate family, but with uh, your immediate family before you were married and had kids and had grandkids. Maybe they've been traditions for uh, generations. And so I, I just wonder if some of you would be willing to share uh, what some of your, just, just one at a time, one of your favorite Christmas traditions is that maybe you've shared in the last few weeks or maybe you're still doing because you still have gatherings that are coming. So just raise your hand if you have a favorite family tradition that you'd be willing to share with us. Yeah. Baking cookies. Baking cookies. Anybody else like to bake cookies at Christmas? Special show of hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else a favorite, a favorite family tradition? Do I see a little hand back here? No? Okay. I know we've got traditions. Yes, ma'am. Um, we yeah, so a big Christmas dinner. I'm guessing some of you have big Christmas dinners with families. Uh, who else has a family tradition? Yeah. Yeah, opening one gift the night before Christmas. Very cool. Yeah, we set our tree up on Halloween. That's a Christmas tradition for our family. Now, now we've been outed to the world. Um, what, buddy? Cool. Your grandparents come over. You have breakfast with them. So I'm guessing. Yeah, one more. Your dogs get new collars and beds. Your dogs get new. That's a great tradition. Very cool. So, so we have uh, these these family traditions. These things that we do. And I'm guessing for your family traditions, some of them, the tradition itself is significant. But for a lot of them, it's not so much the tradition itself, but it's who you're doing it with, right? Um, when you make the cookies, it's, the cookies are good. Like, who doesn't like cookies? Don't raise your hand if you don't like cookies, because that might re result in people attacking you. Um, but it's who you're baking cookies with that matters the most. It's who you have dinner with. Chances are uh, you've all seen movies, maybe you've had this experience, something that you're making for Christmas doesn't work out for dinner. But as long as you're with the right people, that, that's what matters, uh, we, we have a tradition in our family. Every Christmas Eve, uh, we have pizza. Uh, sometimes we buy pizza out. Sometimes we make frozen pizzas. And that may not sound very much fun to you, but for us, for whom the last, what, 23 years I've been a part of Christmas Eve worship experiences, usually two or three on Christmas Eve. And so by mid-afternoon, I'm getting ready for Christmas Eve worship. Uh, we're not home usually till seven or eight o'clock at night. Like for us, it's just been a great way to kind of step back don't worry about cooking anything. We just have the pizza and maybe we watch a Christmas movie. But again, it's not so much the pizza that's important. It's the, who we're doing it with. Well, we're doing this series at Lebanon Christian Church uh, called Elemental. And it's unique because it's not a series that we hit week after week after week. Usually our series will be four, five, six weeks long, and then you move on to something different. I, I shared it with our church in October. The Elemental is a series that we're going to kind of hit from time to time. But the Elemental series really looks at these elements 
that are a part of our worship as a church. Some may view them like traditions, but, but I would submit that the elements that we're going to look at, we looked at singing in October, we're going to look at something else today, uh, they're more significant than just a tradition. They're things that uh, God has asked us to do. They're parts of our church that uh, we learn uh, how to do through his word. And so the element we're going to look at today uh, is communion. Uh, maybe you call it communion. Maybe you call it the Lord's Supper. Maybe you call it the Eucharist. Maybe you call it the Lord's Table. It goes by all these different names, uh, but it comes down to uh, this part of a worship experience uh, in many churches across the world uh, where we eat a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body and we drink some juice. Or if you come from a church tradition that has wine, you drink some wine uh, that represents his blood. And it's an important part of what we do. And so I want, I want to dive into more why we do it and do hopefully this in a way that helps uh, kids and, and students and everybody uh, engage because that's an important element of what we do. Uh, we do it every single week, usually the very heart, the middle of our worship experience. Today we're going to do it at the end uh, after we've kind of taught about it and learned about it. We'll do it together. Uh, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper uh, at that time. Something I want you to understand is that when we share in the Lord's Supper or communion, we do so along people that have been doing it, alongside people who have been doing it for generations. Uh, you go back just short of 2,000 years to Jesus gathering with his disciples in a small room in Jerusalem. Uh, that's when we first had the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, and it has continued in the life of the church ever since. And so when we do this, we do so along, uh, alongside a vast number of people across generations and in time. I want to give you some directional words. I've shared these briefly in a meditation before. I'm just going to go a little more in depth today. Um, some directional words that will help you remember, hopefully, uh, as you're doing communion, maybe even with your family, uh, uh, the significance of what we celebrate in communion. And here's the directional words. Uh, we're going to see how communion invites us to look up, to look down, to look in and to look out. And when we look up, down, in, and out, uh, we can appreciate the significance of communion. So let's start with looking up. And I, I know for some of you, this seems really elementary and simplistic, but if you would humor me, would everybody just look up for a moment? Just look up. Maybe you look up at the lights. Uh, maybe you look up at the speakers. Maybe you look up at the wood and the lights. But when we look up, we look to things that are above us. If you were outside and you looked up, you would look to what's above you. Birds, sky, um, uh, airplanes, stars at night, the moon. We look up to see what's above us. And we use that phrase looking up beyond just physical space, don't we? We'll say that we look up to people. Maybe you look up to a parent or you look up to an older sibling, or you look up to a mentor, or you look up to a teacher or a coach. You look up to people. When we look up to people, we don't look to someone physically above us, although they may be taller than us. We're talking about looking up to someone who has authority over us. We want to learn from them. We want them to teach us. There are ways that we believe that they have a greater understanding or they're better than us. And so when we look up during communion, communion invites us to look up to see God, God who is greater than us, Jesus who is better than us. Uh, we look up to him. He has authority. We want to be like him. And so when we take a piece of bread and we have some juice, represents his body and his blood, we see that Jesus is greater, that Jesus does for us something that we could not do for ourselves. In fact, at the very heart of communion is this idea that, that God is greater. 
Uh, in fact, we could go to Matthew, we could go to Mark, we could go to Luke, all these accounts of the life of Jesus, and we could see how they record what happened with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Uh, we're going to go to Paul's letter to the Corinthians in just a moment, uh, but before that, I kind of want to summarize what Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, a little less than 24 hours before he would be killed and crucified and die, that he gathered with his closest friends in a room in Jerusalem. In that room in Jerusalem, he celebrated what we would call the Passover. He had them prepare, prepare the Passover meal for him and for his disciples. And that Passover meal was super symbolic. I don't know if you remember this or not, but the Passover meal had unleavened bread. And so the unleavened bread was, was to remind them that when they left Egypt, they had to, to leave, what they, the Bible says, in haste. Like they had to go in a hurry um, they, they couldn't take something that would spoil along the way because of the yeast in it. And so they had unleavened bread. Uh, we know they had bitter herbs. They would eat bitter herbs to remind them of how bitter and difficult the experience in Egypt was. Uh, as tradition developed, they ended up having these cups of wine uh, that would remind them of these covenants that God had made with his people. So Jesus gathers in this upper room with his disciples in Jerusalem shortly before his death. And as they're eating this meal full of symbolism, it reminds them of God's rescue. Jesus does something different. He takes that bread and he says, guys, uh, this is my body. And he takes the cup of wine. He says, no, this is my blood. And so he takes a meal that symbolizes rescue and he says, guys, I'm going to provide that rescue. We look up and we see that Jesus is so much greater. I want you to hear these words from Paul. I chose Paul's words in 1 Corinthians for this reason primarily, is that we see Jesus do it with his disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When we get to the early part of Acts that tells the story of the church, we see the early church breaking bread in each other's homes. But as the church continued to multiply, I want you to see that this remained a practice for God's people uh, over the years. So here's what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So when Jesus is sharing in this room with his disciples, he tells them, Do this in remembrance of me. Again, looking up, we recognize that Jesus has authority. Part of that is recognizing that when we share in communion together, when we pause in our worship experiences to take the bread that represents his body, to drink the juice that represents his blood, we're doing so because Jesus has authority. He commanded us. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? If you feel like it every once in a while, grab a little piece of bread, grab some juice, hang out with me for a little bit. No, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this. Re remember me, remember my sacrifice, remember how I have saved you, look up, remember what I have done for you. Part of the reason why it's important to look up, if you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, it says that every time we eat that bread and we drink the cup, we announce the Lord's death until he comes again. There's something about regularly 
Remembering Jesus' body and his blood that keeps us focused on what matters most. There's so many distractions in our world. And if we can come together and focus on who Jesus is and what he's done, it helps us remain anchored. And so we start by looking up. But once we've looked up, we look down. Uh, Everybody look down for a second. Look at the floor, uh, look at your feet, look at your neighbor's feet, although that might be a little awkward for them. Uh, But look down. Looking down is commonly a posture of humility. If you watch a film, if you watch a cartoon uh, that has royalty in it, kings and queens, princes and princesses, whether it's a comedy like Princess Bride or a a show like The Princess Diaries or you watch uh, Game of Thrones, whatever it is, when there are royalty around, people bow their heads. They turn their heads down, and that's a posture of humility. It recognizes that someone is greater and I am less. It's a position of weakness. It's a position of recognizing that that I need them. And so when we come to communion, we take the elements, the bread and the juice, and we're reminded that we we need Jesus. They're a picture uh, of the simplicity of what God has done for us. I'm guessing on your phone, like me, you have a number of pictures I can open up my photos app and I can scroll through and I can find any number of pictures that remind me of different moments uh, in my life. Uh, Some of those moments are more uh, special and more significant than others. And when I see those pictures, I'm taken back to that place in time. I was scrolling through some pictures this morning as I was thinking about this message and I I went to some of the pictures that Audrey and I took when we were in Hawaii in 2021. And I can see that picture, but I can remember what the the air smelled like. I can remember the humidity. I can remember just the feeling of being with the love of my life in a place free from so many distractions. That one picture takes me to a place. And I'm guessing you can do the same. We also have keepsakes in our life, things that we hold on to, things that you can look at on a shelf or on your dresser that take you back to a place. Sometimes these keepsakes are from people that matter a lot to us. I brought one of ours. This is new to our family. Um, this is a, a, a pillow made from one of my grandpa's shirts. Uh, my grandpa died in July, and my grandpa was kind of known for his oversized shirts and his just kind of plain slacks. And so um, Audrey and I didn't know this, but my mom had my sister uh, take some of his oversized shirts and make pillows for us. And at Christmas, uh, she gave us one of these pillows made from one of his shirts. And if I smell it, it still smells musty, uh, like my grandpa's old house. Um, And then my sister-in-law took his signature from one of the cards that he had sent for her birthday and just had that signature blown up. And I think she probably used like a cricket or something and had it made and, and they put them on every pillow. But when I see this, I think about way more than just a shirt. I think about my grandpa and how he would lumber up the steps. And I think about the ways that he loved us Uh, really uh, better and better every year over the last 15 or 20 years. We didn't have much of a relationship growing up, but over the last 20 or so years, that relationship really began to flourish. I can look at this and see all of that. The same is true when it comes to communion. Yeah, it's small. Like if you're looking for a meal when you come to church for communion, like you come to the wrong place, you gotta take the whole tray, right? But when you take this small piece of bread and this juice and you look at them, you're taken back. You're taken back to a savior. 
to God who came in the form of man and he died willingly on a cross. Why? Because we are people who sin and are broken and are in need of God's grace, something that we cannot give ourselves. And he gave all of that for us. And so we look up and we look down and we're humbled. We recognize our need for Jesus, our need for a savior. But we do more than that even. We look in. Now, how do you look in? Uh, Some of us probably wished as kids, maybe you're a kid and you wish now that you had x-ray vision. You want to be able to see see through things, right? Um, We do have science books and stuff that kind of help us see into the human body sometimes. They'll give us a a, a cross-section of the body or they'll give us a diagram and show us what our intestines look like and our organs look like. But when we come to communion, we think about looking in and we're not not looking in to see what our intestines or... um, uh, our, our organs uh, or our blood vessels look like. We're looking in to see what is our heart like. We're looking in to say, am I living like a person who's been rescued? Am I living like a person who understands that Jesus has rescued me and saved me? What are my thoughts? What are my actions? Do they reflect who Jesus is and what he stands for? In fact, Paul gives some counsel in 1 Corinthians 11. One of the problems that was going on in the Corinthian church is there were a lot of status issues and there were some wealthy believers who were kind of leaving out poorer believers and there were some struggles there in the heart of that church family. So here's what Paul encourages. This is verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, the same section we were in. He says, this is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Examine yourself. Think about your life. Are you reflecting the life of Jesus? Like anytime we come to communion, not only are we looking up and seeing his greatness and looking down and recognizing our need, but we're looking in and saying, God, what parts in me are not yet honoring you? Am I living like a rescued person? And when, and when those thoughts come to mind of how we're falling short, we, we in that moment confess. We say, God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I have messed up. We repent. We say, God, I don't want to do it this way anymore. So we look in. We look up, we look down, we look in, and we look out. And so again, uh, for introverts, this might be a little awkward for you, but I'd love for you to look out. And by looking out, I mean look around. Look, look beside you. Look down the road to your right. Look, road to your right. Look down the road to your left. Look in front of you. See the people around you. Now, now turn around. Look behind you. See who's behind you. All right? When we look out during communion, we recognize that as we share in the Lord's Supper, we're doing that alongside many other people. Like in our individualistic American culture, we're taught so often it's about us. But the truth is, Jesus' love and his sacrifice is not just about you. It's about every single one of us. And so when we share in the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus died for us, that Jesus gave his life for us, but he also gave his life for everyone in this world if they'll come to believe in him. And when we share in communion, we do so alongside people all over the world. There are people right now in Lebanon and other churches that are sharing in communion. There are people across the state of Indiana that are eating bread and drinking grape juice or wine, thinking of Jesus. There are people all over our country. There are people on the West Coast who haven't quite woken up to go to church yet who will be doing it on the West Coast. There are people in Asia 
who have already celebrated communion for the day. There are people that have celebrated in mountains and valleys and deserts. There are people who have celebrated in basements because if people knew they were worshiping Jesus, they'd go to jail. There are people worshiping in big cities and in countryside, people worshiping in, in church buildings, people worshiping under trees, people worshiping in houses where they're celebrating communion, what God has done for them. And so when we celebrate communion, yes, we look up and we see his greatness. We see how he directs us to remember him. We look down and recognize our need for a savior. We look in and we say, am I living like a rescued person? What parts of me need to change? And we look out and we say, I'm doing this alongside a multitude of people who also are following Jesus. I'm doing this knowing there's a world in need of Jesus. So my hope is, as we come to communion, whether it's in kids' church in future weeks, because that's where you normally worship, or if it's in here, if it's in overflow, if you're one of our students, that you'll do so. And as you do so, you'll kind of use this as a simple model to look up, look down, look in, and look out, and allow that to remind you of the significance of what Jesus has done for us. Because were it not for this Jesus, God in human flesh, who was born to Mary, who grew old, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man, who walked this earth and showed us how to live in perfect union with his father, our incredible God, who gave his life on a cross. We would be people without hope. But because of him, we have hope and we have life. In just a minute, I'm gonna invite you to share in communion. Uh, we have communion stations all around the room. There are six of them. Uh, there are these double-stacked cups. You'll find the bread on the bottom and the juice on the top. Um, and, and what I'd encourage you to do is to get up and grab some for yourself, grab some for your family. Uh, usually what we ask is that those who have made decisions to trust and follow Jesus, like you've placed your faith in him, that that's who communion is for. But if you're a parent here and your kids have, you know they believe who Jesus is, they've not yet made a decision I think that on an occasion like this where we're learning about the significance of communion, it's okay if you as a parent want to allow your kid to share in communion with you. That's a choice that you can make. But maybe just have them reminded, uh, remind them in this moment to, to look up and to look down, to look in and to look out. And we'll share in communion together after I pray. Just make your way to one of the stations, grab your double stack cups and come back to your seat. And after we've had a time to do that, we'll sing a closing song together. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for uh, the simplicity and the power of what you've given us in communion. God, that you could take a meal that was already so symbolic of rescue and you could transform it for us to be reminded that you are our rescuer. Uh, it's just, it's profound to me. It's powerful. And so I pray you would help us every time we eat the bread and we drink from the cup to remember you, the Savior of the world, the one we desperately need, the one who has loved us and given his life for us, the one who shows us how to live, uh, and the one who helps us in a whole community of other believers uh, to live for you and to shine your light in this world. And would you be honored and praised as we celebrate communion with you? In your name we pray, amen.